0: Trump's posting the contact information for the main Secretary of State is even more proof that he is using his followers as thugs and assassins. Unless Trump has dementia, he remembers what happens every time he does that, and deliberately chooses to do it again, happy to see his worshippers sending them death threats on Trump's behalf. If Trump was a true Christian who cares for his fellow man the way he says he does, then he should stop goading his fans into action. Anyone who is a good person and supports Trump should take a moment to think about this. Yeah, buddy. Yeehaw is right. You know those crazy atheists love to make up all kinds of stuff, and then impose it upon Christians as if they even know what Christianity means. Welcome to the program. I am Dr. Paul, and this is Worldviews. And yes, the atheists have their own worldview, and they are in a panic. That was a commentary from uh, just a couple of days ago. The atheists are worried about the 2024 presidential election. And all of those Christian extremists are coming after him. They're going to eat their babies. And Donald Trump is behind it. And if he was a true Christian, (laughs) he wouldn't be doing such a thing. As if an atheist even knows what a true Christian believes. But you see, that's what's going around these days. Idiots and morons, which, biblically speaking, that's what God calls them anyway. Idiots and morons want to impose their religion on everybody. And then build straw men and attack them. Say you're a bad person if if you're following the the likes of a Donald Trump, who's a, who's who's supposed to be a true Christian. He should be doing those things. I oh, get out of here, you pinhead. You know Donald Trump is not what I would call a paragon of moral virtue when it comes to Christianity, but at least he will stand up for Christian rights, whereas opposed to these atheists, these ones that are in a panic over the 2024 election who don't know anything about Christianity. When you make up stuff like that, uh, whether it's about Trump or whether it's about Christians, Christianity, and you tie in the KKK and all this kind of stuff, you just make a fool out of yourself. You, you You make 10 times the fool you already are. Christians don't believe that kind of stuff. I mean, bring something to the table. You're always challenging... Christians to provide proof for the existence of God. How about you do the same and then define your terms? That's what I do. Define the terms up front so we'll all be on the same page. When we have these little discussions and debates, we won't have to go around throwing slop all over the place and saying we accomplished something by the end of the discussion. No, we will be on the same page and we can have a a real winner and a real loser for a change and I guarantee it every time the atheist will lose because his worldview is totally irrational. As much as he wants to project that he's one of the most rational creatures on the face of the earth, no he is totally irrational, and panicking about the 24, 2020, 2024 election and using these types of arguments is a clear-cut set of proof just how irrational he is. Anyway, thanks for coming to the, uh, to the uh, podcast here where we talk about worldviews. And we've been talking about the Christian Constitution, uh, specifically in the Book of Romans, which I have... Pointed out before, uh, is the best example of what Christians do believe. Paul has laid this out in sixteen chapters. We are all the way up to chapter eleven, or about halfway through it, and we just got done talking about uh, how God has uh, a remnant, remnant left over from the Jews. Even though some would say, "No, no, no, no," like Elijah did, that no, they're they're have been obliterated. They're gone, and oh, I'm the only one left. No, you're not the only one left. You're not the only one left. Uh, there's a remnant that God has left over, and there's a stupor, a a darkening of the hearts of many, a hardening of other Jewish hearts. And for the specific purpose that Paul will eventually lay out here throughout the 11th chapter of of Romans, for the benefit of the Gentiles. For those who are not God's people, by God's grace, they have become his people. And for the specific reason of making the Jews jealous, envious, in a godly way, of the salvation and the loving kindness and the patience that God has had towards those who were not Jews and showing them the gifts and the promises that were originally belong what belonged to the, to the Jews now belong to the Gentiles. And when all of that finally comes to a head, then later on the Apostle Paul is going to point out that that jealousy is going to lead to a just magnanimous conversion of Jews at the end. Anyway, if you have your Bible, I don't have anybody to report on as far as uh, new followers or anything like that. That's okay. I don't expect this to be a Taylor Swift type thing where you get 53 million people who, oh, this is just wonderful. No, I don't expect that because kind of going along with what we're talking about here, this remnant, there are not going to be very many people who are going to listen to this. They like the pabulum. They like their own paganism, whether it's in the form of a Christian counterfeit. or what They're going to want that. And Paul doesn't sing and dance. <laughs> uh, I just tried to teach this you know uh, this thing about the Word of God here, and if people listen, you listen. I've been asked, do you want to advertise? No, I don't want to advertise. I think in God's providence, if you're out there and you enjoy the program, you'll tell others, and the others will tell others, and others will tell others, and they'll they'll come if God, in His once again, He's providence and His will wants them to listen. Others will be hardened, and they'll go listen to Taylor Swift or whomever. I I saw a thing here. <laughs> or listen to a a, a little ditty that uh, was really big, 2023, uh, a TikTok-type video is where it kind of started, and I was going to play part of it here, but who wants to, uh, called Unholy. People flock to that by the millions. Why? Because they're unholy. Now, that doesn't mean... And some have asked me before, well, Paul, how can I contribute to your program? Well, right now, right now, excuse me, still suffering from the aftermath of the cold here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Podbean doesn't offer what I would call a real uh, good way of making a contribution to the program. So if you want to go over to my my website, capro.info, there's a donate button over there. You click on that. It goes through PayPal. And I've suggested that to to, uh, Podbean. Why can't there be that type of a thing? And so far, nobody has responded back to me. Because right now, the way they have got it set up for monetization, people who want to contribute, is through their patron program, which to me is not cost-efficient, and then through advertising. And I don't want to advertise. I just don't. I don't want to be on somebody else's uh, program. I don't want them interrupting with this one because it – to me, I, when I when I do live program and I've done radio in the past, <laughs> um, it ends up breaking up the flow of thought. And when I used to do live podcasts, uh, people would jump in here or there and that kind of stuff. But once again, they just interrupted the flow. And I don't like that kind of thing. So if you want to, it, it's purely up to you, once again, in your God's providence, and you think this is worth you know, supporting. Just go over there. Just go over to my website, capro.capro.info, and make your contribution. Whatever it is, it doesn't make any difference, and I'll use it to try to expand here. You know, maybe longer podcasts or maybe something else. I don't know. I haven't dreamed of it yet, Uh, and it'll help pay the bills. So there you go. Now we're in Romans chapter eleven. <laughs> we're picking up here in verse thirteen. And we're going to go through verse 24. And as I have told uh, listeners in the past, uh, get your Bible. This is the best way to learn what's in the Bible. And we know, or at least I know, that we don't read it enough. We certainly don't put it into practice. And a lot of so-called Christians are embarrassed by it you know whether it comes time to present it during a school board meeting or whatever or maybe you're kind of I mentioned him yesterday the uh, speaker of the house you know he brings it out you know makes great swelling speeches whatever and then he abandons it and uh, you know you won't do that get the bible out read it think about it ask god to illuminate your heart over it and then put it into practice and especially as i pointed out before in the book of romans it will change your life. It will well, change your culture. And right now, if you live in the United States, where we're in a state of apostasy, we all kinds of fake teachers and preachers and whatever out there, we need all of the uh, uh, revival that we can possibly get because of what the Book of Romans has to offer. Now, as I said, the Apostle Paul had said that... Uh, that uh, the Jews themselves were, were hardened, but then he turns around and he makes a direct appeal to the Gentiles, or in the Greek, the ethnics, ethnics, that are in Rome, because he's writing to the Roman Christians. And I think he does this for a very good reason. Uh, do you remember, maybe not, uh, if you were with me from the beginning when we started this study, going back to the book of Romans chapter 1, when the Apostle Paul had this to say about this church. This church he had never been to, but he knew some of the people there. He He says, first I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. It was outstanding. The... Church was solid, it was biblical, it was Christian, according to Christian criteria. Uh, they were born born of God, uh, and so on and so forth. Paul lauded them, but I think there was a problem there, and I, it's indicative of the way a lot. Well, I would say every. Christian church is. That's worth its salt. Uh, as holy as it as it was, there's going to be problems because people who are Christians still have that inherent sin nature that they get to deal with, and that turns into problems elsewhere. Uh, James dealt with this kind of a thing at the church here in Jerusalem. Uh, those that were propping up the the rich and the famous, so to speak, to the exclusion of the poor. Well, in the church at Rome, as great as it was, there was an arrogance problem. There was a pride problem. And I think this is the reason why we see what Paul is writing here in the middle of chapter 11. And Paul is going to address it. He says in uh, verse uh, 13, Uh, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Not that there weren't Jews in that church, there probably was, but most of them were probably converts that were outside the church and uh, they needed to be spoken to. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. I glorify it in a good way. It's what God sent me to do in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But... If some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Well, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, Contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So, what's Paul saying here? I think he's giving a warning. And this is how it unfolds. As he, as he mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm talking to the Gentiles. I'm talking to you ethnics out there. You people who are now... Converts to Christianity to the true Judaism. I like how sometimes we hear people in the United States here say so we were our country was founded on the Judeo-Christian ethic, as if you know what we had the Jews over there and the Gentiles over here, and uh, they too shall not meet, <laughs> so to speak. And that's not what it was at all. The Judeo-Christian ethic deals with being a true Jew, one that is born again, those that have been born again, those that see the whole Bible, the laws leading to Christ and Christ saving those by grace through faith, and that the Bible is still absolutely authoritative in all things pertaining to faith and practice. Paul here is talking to those converts, and he says, you know, what? the reason why I'm talking to you is because I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm what it was said to you. Peter had the obligation to go talk to the Jews. It doesn't mean it's exclusively in that way. I'm sure that Peter talked to the Gentiles every once in a while whenever they would come by, just as Paul frequently went into the synagogue and talked talk to the Jews. But his specific mission was to the Gentiles. God had opened up that door. And so he says, I magnify my ministry. I make it big, glorious. Literally, the word is doxazo, which means to glorify. I glorify in it. It, Like I said, in the good sense, it's not that Paul's being arrogant, trying to steal God's glory from him. He's pointing people to God. And he thinks this is something that is out of this world, so to speak, and it is because it's of God's divine providence. But he does this for a specific reason, in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. And Paul had already referred to this earlier in verse. Uh, what have we got? Verse eleven, when he said. We talked about this last podcast. So I asked them, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Talk about the Jews. Are they completely obliterated, kaput, no longer a part of God's covenantal economy? No, not at all, period. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, their, literally that word means to do and run, you know, around something, to walk beside Their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Earlier he talked about that jealousy, dealing with anger. To upset the Jews or to make them stop and pause like, what? wait a second here, God is not dealing with us anymore? Not directly. Right now you're hard. Not all of you. There is a remnant out there. There are Messianic Jews. But enough of you have been put on the back burner that hopefully because of what God has done to the Gentiles, you'll wake up. You'll you'll be like, what happened? This was promised to us. Of course it was. But, But because of your lack of faith, you stumbled over the stumbling block and you ended up rejecting your Messiah. So then that was... Given to the Gentiles, and because of what Paul's ministry is about, he's hoping that some, not all, everybody, not, not not everybody, he says, and thus save some of them. Doesn't mean everybody. Now I've said before that I, I think what Paul is writing about here overall, towards the end, when when he talks about the fullness of the Gentiles, over in verse twenty-five, is it twenty-five? I think it's twenty-five. Uh, Let me see here. Yeah, verse 25, he talks about the fullness of the Gentiles. When that is complete, then I think there's going to be a, just I've said before, a magnanimous, a wonderful evangelization of the Jews. Their hearts will finally be broken, and they'll come to their Messiah, the Lord Jesus. But then he says in verse 15, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now, once again, this is not a total rejection. This is not a total hardening, as in permanent. But their rejection, their turning away from the Lord Jesus, their rejection of him as the Messiah, as the Savior, has opened up a, an opportunity for the world to be reconciled, to come back into a relationship with God that God had with mankind before Adam fell. There is this uh, union. Now, some people like to say, well, you know, when it comes to atonement, that just means that God is one with his people. No, that's not what it means. We're talking about something here that uh, bridges the gap between fallen man, not necessarily Jew or Gentile, but just fallen man in general, humanity in general, bridging the gap between those sinners and a holy God. He says a reconciliation of the world, the cosmos. Now, this is an interesting phrase because earlier on, the Apostle Paul had alluded to the fact that all of creation groans. It groans for the adoption of sons. And it's groaning up until now. This rejection on the part of the Jews opened up the floodgate, literally, for the, for the reconciliation of the world. It's undergoing a curse not only mankind but the whole of creation is undergoing this curse and it's waiting for that reconciliation to to come to full fruition and you know it's because of that what's going to what's the world or what is the whole of creation going to be like after the jews come to the point where they have been redeemed themselves And they accept, not in the sense that they're exercising this autonomous uh, will to be one with God again or to be uh, in a right relationship or union with God again. Uh, Not in that at all. But their acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Because you see, as I pointed out before, and the Apostle Paul has made perfectly clear, everyone prior to regeneration is spiritually dead. This doesn't mean they don't have life, lifely animation and body movements and all that kind of stuff, at least for maybe their 70 years or longer, where they're animated. It means that they are dead within. They cannot relate to the living God in a spiritual way. Now, a lot of people like to think that they do. I am spiritual. I am not part of organized religion. But they're only fooling themselves. That's only a projection of their deadness. Because if God Almighty is not in the midst of that spirituality, they're dead. They're acting like pagans. They might as well just go ahead and erect themselves a totem pole and go out and bow before it as to say, I'm spiritual and I'm accepted by God because of my spirituality. No, you're not. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. And this is how the Jews were. By intermingling and intermarrying and and getting engaged with all of the pagan practices of the past. And then in some cases going clear off the deep end, uh, creating laws and ordinances, uh, not necessarily to drive anybody to God, but to be glorified by men like the Pharisees did, they're still equally dead. So you've got their, the acceptance by the Jews that will come, and this reconciliation of the world and the reconciliation of the Jewish nation, Jewish people, and it will not only be life in the here and the now as it's intended to be, but in the future as well. When all is said and done, and a person closes their eyes in death. And then, so Paul then uses another illustration coming out of the book of Numbers. And he says, you know, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Well, the, the illustration here of those deals with the first fruits that the, the Jews were to offer by way of sacrifice and thanksgiving to the Lord, recognizing where their sustenance came from. And it was to be sanctified, set apart, considered to be sacred, consecrated, if you will. It was offered as first fruits, the first of the harvest as the priest offered that over to God and if it was this grain offering that was kneaded into dough crushed and so on and so forth made into a an, into a doughy lump if the first fruits is holy then so is the whole lump the whole lump of lump of bread is that way and that's the way that that this analogy or illustration is to pertain to uh, the reconciliation of the Jews and the Gentiles. If the Jews are this whole lump, and then the, the Gentiles come along and they become a part of that, then they're going to be holy as well, which is why he carries on, he says, and if the root is holy, the root being Israel, so are the branches. Uh, it's it's Paul's way of trying to illustrate how the Jews and the Gentiles are eventually going to become one as God's people. But then he offers these these, uh, warnings uh, as he tries to illustrate to these Gentiles, hey, you can't be assuming upon yourself and your effort what you've done because it's not because of what you did, it's because of what God did. If some of the branches were broken off, meaning the hardened uh, Jews on this uh, olive tree uh, that Paul is going to allude to, I think it's over the book of Isaiah. No, it's the book of Jeremiah, book of Jeremiah chapter 11, where the nation of Israel is likened to an olive tree. Well, there's some branches that were broken off. This is a, a way of saying, you know what? Some of my brethren, they were hardened. They're still paganistic. They rejected their savior. Uh, well, they're broken off. And although you're a wild olive shoot, and you're grafted in among others, and you now share in the in the nourishing root of the olive tree, that's you. And and, and what I find to be really oh, I find really interesting here is that God does the grafting. Once again, this takes this whole, what I've talked about before, this free willyism, and it blows it out the window. Uh, It's not what you do to graft yourself into the spiritual Israel, the God's people, the, the church. It's not what you do, it's what God does. And Paul is driving that home to these Roman Christians. Yes, there's a. There's an the open space because of what the natural branches did to reject God's mercy and grace, and they didn't act faithfully. Yes, there, there's an open space, but still, it's what God does to graft in the Gentiles to fill that space. And now they're sharing in the the, nour- the nourishing root here, the... uh. Uh, the fatness of what the king James says of what spiritual Israel has to say the promises and the covenants that were given to the Jews are now, the 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 gentiles now get to take part in but he issues this warning don't be arrogant and I I would just carry this over to you who's listening right now And share it with anybody else. Just because you claim to be a Christian, and you might be one, doesn't mean there's room for arrogance. There's no room for you to say, look at me. In fact, I've brought up before on this very podcast, several that I have challenged, uh, dealing with uh, the idea that well, once God does something in a person's life, then they are God's people. Uh, and the person says, oh, no, 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 you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. If you don't do as Jesus said, keep my commandments, well, then you can't be a Christian. And then I turn around and challenge them. Okay, come on, boaster. Come on, you braggart. Tell us all of the wonderful things that you have done. To remain saved, to remain pure. Because guess what? If 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 you think that salvation, this reconciliation with God, is a cooperative effort on your part, then you got room to boast. And I would love to hear it. And I want to know just how perfect you made yourself. I you made yourself, not God. Because you're saying God didn't do this. You did. And yet Paul is saying, don't be arrogant. Don't be filled with hubis and pride towards the branches, you Gentiles, toward the Jews. Don't be that way. That's not what I would call the, you know, the, the spirit that... Paul has alluded to before, which takes a great deal of humility to recognize that it's not of you but is of God. Don't be arrogant. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root. You're not the originator of God's people. You're not Abraham. You're not any of those that God is, has uh, established a covenant with, you're not it. You're an outsider. And if you start, you know, poking your nose, uh, start looking at the Jews down your down your long arrogant nose, that's telling me you're you're not in remembrance of who's supporting who here. It's the root that supports you. It's not you supporting the root. You're an outsider. And Paul then goes on, he said, and apparently he has dealt with others that probably were not at Rome, that had this same arrogant attitude. And we've got it today in various and sundry ways. You know, whether we're dealing with Jews or others. And Christianity is not about being arrogant. You deserve nothing if you're a Christian. This is why you should always just be thankful and be humble about it. But Paul says in verse 19, well, you will say, and apparently some have, well, the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And the person who says this, if you take a look at this in the Greek, it's emphatic. (laughs) It's emphatic. You will say, the branches were broken off so that I... Might be grafted. Like, look at me. Am I not wonderful? I might be grafted in. God did this for you. yeah. And I'm going to give God the praise, but look at me. Why? What did you do? If God would have left you the way you were, you'd still be on the road to hell. And that's something to be gloating about. But apparently, this is what Paul had run into at this church, at least to a certain degree. And this is what I said before. This is kind of prevalent in a lot of churches. You've got those that are too snooty, too clickish to be around others, sometimes even within their own congregation. They're just too good. And I'm saying you're not heeding the warning here. God is the one who grafted you in, and that's not something to be arrogant about. That is something to be humbled by. Those branches were broken off so that room was for you. Room that you didn't deserve because of how tall you are, beautiful you are, how well-dressed you are, how rich you are, how well-mannered you are, and all these neat little things that I've seen in Christian churches over the past forty some years, and it absolutely makes me sick. It is almost like what Paul, or not Paul, but John talks about in the book of Revelation in the Church of Laodicea: fat and sassy, arrogant. You know, wouldn't uh, uh, wouldn't lift a finger to to help out a a, a broken brother? unless he got something in return from it. And I'm sure you've dealt with those types of people before, and they probably make you sick too. Paul says, you were broken off. Yeah, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. And yet if you're acting arrogant, how is that faithfulness? Because that's what belief means. How are you trusting then in God solely and wholly, unwaveringly, if you're arrogant about it? I'm a Christian and I wear it on my sleeve. Really? They were broken off because of their unbelief, and now you're acting like them, except once again you got the big head about you. Paul says, but you stand through faith. Uh, At least... Maybe you do. Maybe you stand through faith. A lot of people don't. They they want to say, it, "Oh yeah, that's my that's my faith and whatever." In fact, I had somebody recently uh, <laughs> when I was challenging the whole idea of the Roman Pontiff. I said, "Where is this whole idea even taught in the Bible? This office of the Pope?" Well, uh, you know, Jesus told Peter, "Well, uh, upon you." I build my church, I said, Jesus never said any such thing. well, uh okay, well, maybe he didn't uh, well, but I might my faith is still in jesus really you're you're trying to defend something that is not defensible, and you're misquoting the Bible. Well, if you're willing to go that far to protect a ruse, prop up a ruse, and you're misquoting the Bible in the process, then just what kind of faith do you have? in Jesus? And which Jesus are you believing in? And Paul probably ran into that very type of thing right here. It's not uncommon. Their arrogance got the best of them. So Paul warns them, don't become proud, but fear in a godly way. Fear God in a in a uh, reverentially respectful way of saying, you know what, God, this is of your doing, not mine. Otherwise, you're going to end up acting a lot like the Jews did. You're, uh, you may have a zeal for God. woo You know, it's, uh, let's toot our horn here. Woo! I am such a wonderful Christian. And then completely miss the boat. Fear in a reverential way. God this is if you're doing not mine you grafted me in where there was a, there was a there was a space and those people who are not grafted in guess where they're going and that should humble us as well those people are going to hell one day and nobody should you know wish that upon anybody although some people are more uh, deservedly of of such a place than others, you know, and they, just because of their behavior. But I don't think we should wish that on anybody. I don't think anybody really understands completely what hell is like. It's gruesome, terrifying. Verse twenty one, he says, "For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you." Now, some might take that as saying, "Uh oh." In fact, we would get to verse. 22, we see more of this. Uh Uh-oh, if God is not going to spare me because he didn't spare the natural branches, well, that means that if if I'm in, I can lose my salvation. I've said before, there's no such thing as an ex-Christian. I think Paul is saying here, you need to pay attention to your P's and Q's here. Are you really what you claim to be? This is going to take some honest self introspection. And, you know, I I found some people that, that when it comes to challenging them as Christians, I almost immediately can say they're not because they blow up because it's about them. How dare you question me? Well, why shouldn't I? If you're being like the Roman Christians here and you're being arrogant toward the Jews, or maybe you're just being a pinhead, otherwise, you're not acting in a in a godly sense, according to what the Bible has to say. You're not humble. You're not loving. You're not patient. You know, I I I I, I find those people to be reprehensible. So when you start questioning them, like I said here a second ago, about their faith and what Jesus they're following, well, they go off the deep end. How dare you! You've challenged the figment of my imagination. This is my Jesus. I dreamed him up. It's my faith. I dreamed it up. It's my grace. I defined it. No, it's not. It's not about you. And if you're acting that way, acting contrary to the natural branches here, or in other aspects, God's not going to spare you. You're going to be no better than than those that I have marked before when Jesus' comment that are going to stand before him in judgment one day. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You're believing and trusting in the Lord in a biblical sense. Because you see, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And we cast out demons. And we did many mighty works. Wonderful. We did them in your name. And then Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's how a lot of people are going to be. They're going to be arrogant. They're going to stand before the Lord. They're going to be in shock over the response of the Lord. And then he says in verse 22, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. I want you to see two different things here, you Roman Christians. I want you to notice two two kinds of things here, kindness and severity of God. You see, Paul is going to give them the the real God here, not the one that is, once again, the figment of a lot of people's imagination, who seem to think that God is this, well, he's an old man, he's sitting on a cloud, uh, up in heaven somewhere, and he's like Father Time. And he's just a jolly old, good old guy. He's almost like Santa Claus, and he doesn't get mean or nasty with anybody. In fact, Jesus is that way. He's my buddy. And he would not dare do a a, a, a mean thing. It wouldn't even harm a fly. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Paul says, note the kindness of, And the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen. The judgment for unbelief. For being idolaters. For chasing after the world. For failing to obey God. And I've said this before. This is what Israel did when they were instructed to go in and take possession of the promised land, and they failed. Oh, they took part of it, and they eradicated a lot of paganism. But as is the case in its history, and really in the case of many Christians, unless you are on guard, the world starts creeping in. It starts to become more appealable. And, you know, you go, well, I don't have time to read and study the Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't really have time to do those things that are virtuous, uh, those things that what, what Paul talks about over in the book of Galatians that are part of a spirit-led life. Uh, he says, walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he talks about what those, uh, those indications of both the flesh and the and walking in the Spirit are about, he says, you know, sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and all those things. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and so on and so forth, against which there is no law. I don't have time for those things. Well, I guarantee you, when the Jews went into the promised land and failed to walk by the Spirit, acted unfaithfully, uh, that pretty soon they were meted out the judgment of God. And it was an up and down, ebb and flow, throughout 800 years of history. And it's the same thing with the Christian life. If you're not doing those things, then you get God's severity. You get God's judgment. And in this case, in many of the Jews' cases, they were cut off. Cut off from the promises of God. And so it will be for every other person who claims to be a Christian, and maybe is, and all of a sudden you want to backslide. Or you, well, like I said, you just don't have time for God. Well, if you don't have time to, to listen to God or do the things of, you know, that God would have you to do, well, guess what? You get God's judgment. You get God's chastisement, as the book of Hebrews says. That's severity. But on the other hand, Paul says, I want you to think about something else. The kindness aspect of it. To the Roman Christians, he provided you to continue in this kindness. In the sense that, you know what? He has provided salvation for you, this grafting in where Israel missed the boat. You get those blessings if you act humbly, if you act in biblical faith, not just something you contrived on your own, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. At least on Sunday. (laughs) The rest of the time, well, not so much. And I pointed this out before. Is there a consistency in your life? Was there a consistency in the Roman Christian's life? Was there a consistency in the Israelites' life when they were walking throughout the Promised Land. Because God is going to notice that. You know, it's not that you're not going to slip and fall on your face from time to time. Paul has already pointed that out in Romans chapter 7. Sin is still there. And yes, you're going to trip and fall on your face. You're going to act unbecomingly from time to time. You're going to say some of the stupidest things you thought you would never say. You're going to let some things drivel out of your mouth when you're talking about certain things that you're going to regret later on. But once again, are you acting in biblical faith to remedy that faux pas, that sin, that evil later on? Or is it one of those things where it's like, well, God made me this way. God made me a pervert. God made me somebody with a four-letter word mouth. God made me mean, I am not going to forgive that person regardless. Then I would have to say, uh, you're probably not acting in accord with God's kindness. You're not one of those that God has extended his salvation, that which was directed to the Jews. And then Paul gives this warning. If that be the case, if you're one of these fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants Christians, you're going to be cut off too. Because you see, those that claim to be Jews in the Old Testament and many of those whom Paul was dealing with here in the book of Romans and maybe those in, in, the, in the Roman church there when Paul was writing to them, and even up until today, uh, they're going to be claiming, well, I'm a Jew because of, well, look, at I got a Jewish name, I came from a Jewish background, so on and so forth. Uh, they weren't Jews. This goes back to the principle of circumcision of the heart. Paul had talked about this in the Old Testament as well as in the New. It's not what what you project yourself to be on the outside. It's what's on the inside that counts. And what's on the inside is what's going to eventually be a part of your regular, everyday practice as a Christian, as a Messianic Jew. It's circumcision of the heart. That's what's going to identify you as the real McCoy. Uh, like I said yesterday, somebody said, well, you know, you're know, you using the uh, no true Scotsman fallacy here. Uh, I'm using no such thing other than what the Bible says about what it takes to be a Christian, how to be able to identify even in yourself, whether you're the real McCoy or not. And I think this, once again, gets back to this warning that, Paul is trying to get this, these Roman Christians to understand. Don't take it for granted that God has grafted you in. Do a self check. In fact, uh, the Bible elsewhere talks about that very thing: to examine yourself to see whether you are actually in the faith. Because if you're not, God is going to cut you off. That doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation because you never had it to begin with. That's kind of his way of saying, you know what, Uh, I'm cutting off the delusional here. There are a lot of delusional Jews, ethnic Jews, and there's going to be a lot of ethnics in the sense of Gentiles that are delusional as well. They are going to be religious, but not with knowledge, not by biblical knowledge. And so then Paul says in verse 23, and even they... If they do not continue in their unbelief, talking about the talking about the Jews, if they don't continue in that, and the only way that they're not going to is by God's grace, they're going to be grafted in. They were not a part, and now they get to be a part. They were Jews by name only, but now they're Jews by faith only. For God has the power to graft them in again. They were apart, uh, traveled uh, through the promised land, became unfaithful. God cut them off, and God can bring them back in. Uh, Like I said, going from the ethnic aspect of it to the spiritual part of it. And it's the same thing that God can do with those who claim to be Christians, and God can cut them off too. They may hang on on the coattails of what it means to be a Christian and then have it all go up in smoke, so to speak. (laughs) unless they end up in hell, then it's going to be the real thing. And so then he closes in verse 24. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and you're outside the realm of the uh, olive orchard, so to speak, and you're grafted in, contrary to nature. Some have questioned whether Paul even knew what he was talking about when it came to how to graft in branches and the like. And Paul kind of corrects that here. It's not that he's saying, you know, what we're gonna do is we're going to take uh what are we going to take the new aspect or the new tree? Uh, actually actually we're gonna flip this backward. The old and graft it into the into the new and make it a new tree, because they were supposed to take the new aspect or in the new branch, uh, the sapling, and graft it into the old and make it something vibrant again. Public saying, uh, that's not how you do it. He's saying here, uh, that is not the natural order. But he's saying, if you were cut off from what is by nature, a wild olive tree, and grafted in contrary to nature, that's not how it's normally done, and you're into a cultivated uh, olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, who are already a part of this old cultivated olive tree that had all of the oracles of God, how much more natural will it be to do that? It'll be easier for God to do that. They'll be grafted back into their own olive tree. And, and once again, according to Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 16, the olive tree was a, an analogy, a metaphor of the nation of Israel. The Lord once called you a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit. And then he would say, but with the roar of a great tempest, he will set, it, set fire to it, and its branches will be consumed, saying, you know what? You were once beautiful, but now you're going to get torched because of your unbelief. But here in verse 24, Paul is saying, you know what? Uh, even though the uh, natural branches have been broken off, uh, they can just as easily be put back into place. And so, don't you go around thinking that uh, you're something extra special because God has grafted you in as a wild olive branch, a wild olive tree. Uh, Paul, I mean this. This is a great warning, and I think sometimes we oftentimes miss. Because we don't want to talk about these types of things in our church settings. We want to kind of blow past the warning thinking God doesn't pay attention to how we behave towards the Jews or towards other Christians or even towards the world. God doesn't pay attention. God doesn't care. Uh, yes, He does. Uh, God cares about Christian behavior. And even to the point of, you know, something as as miraculous as salvation, even though sometimes we don't even think of it in those terms. We think we can be mean and nasty or whatever towards the Jews, shame on them for what they did. They, They nailed Jesus to the cross and so on, so on, so on. Without taking into account, how did we even become Christians in the first place? Was it because we were born into it? Was it because we went to some evangelistic service and we, once again, we went down front and accepted Jesus and got baptized? Now it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. It absolutely matters how we became Christians, how we're going to maintain our Christianity, which is, once again, by grace and through faith. Paul illustrates this over and over and over again. And so I hope you'll take this into account. The next time, you know, you talk about this particular subject with either Jews or Gentiles, it is of God's own doing. It's not something you did. And so I hope you'll take warning as well and include in your vocabulary your testimony. The subject of grace, subjects of grace and faith. They're a big if not the total picture here when it comes to becoming one of God's people. And so we're, what, two-thirds of the way now through just the the chapter of the 11th chapter of Romans. And I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have any questions or comments, you can write me at podcast at capro.info and I'll try to get back to you as quickly as I can. Uh, I have nothing really to add to that. I'm be extra long-winded, so I'm just going to bid you adieu. May God's blessings be upon you. Look forward to doing the next podcast with you. You take care.